The scribes and the chief priests tried to lay hands on him that very hour, and they feared the people, for they understood that he spoke this parable against them. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous, in order that they may catch him in some statement, so that they could deliver him to the rule and the authority of the governor. They questioned him, saying, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly, and you are not partial to any. But teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he detected their trickery and said to them, Show me a denarius whose likeness and inscription does it have. They said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were unable to catch him in a saying in the presence of the people. And being amazed at his answer, they became silent. And I'm going to read for us a different version, slightly different. This is from the NIV. I'm going to read just verse 25 for us. He said to them, Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he had said there in public. And astonished by his answer, they became silent. Would you read that um, statement one more time with me? Then give to ready. Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer before we begin. God, we thank you for allowing us to meet, God. God, as we uh, submit our hearts unto you, as we submit ourselves unto you this time, God. God, I pray that you would convey fully um, uh, what is on your mind, God, what is on your heart, God. May we be granted the faith to receive from you, God, all of your gifts, all that you have prepared to uh, a gift to us today, Lord. God, we pray more than just a, a good insight in our minds, but God, God, we pray for the transformation of our hearts. So God, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What does God want from me? What does God desire from me? What more can, can, can God possibly need from me? What does God require of me? Such may be the questions that we ponder when we get serious with God. We don't really answer this, ask these questions unless we're serious with God. When we're uh, really intentional about leading a godly life... When we are really intentionally focused on living our lives for God, it begins, as it should, with asking this important question. The question is, what does God require of me? You know, as I mentioned right now, this past week, we talked about faith and money. We talked about how money is often the heart of the matter, and there's, as, as money is, is many of our lives, it becomes so important for us, and, and that, that there is a real struggle, real pain in dealing with, to learn what it means to trust God and concede our finances, our possessions unto Him. But the question that we can't help asking is, is that all? Is giving God our money the ultimate goal for our lives, for us or for God? What would God say about that? If we were to ask God, God, what is it that you desire from us? What would God say or how would God answer that very important question? 
And like any other findings during this mini-series called Good Habits, such was pondered by the people during Jesus' time and his ministry. And perhaps Jesus foresaw the struggles, and Jesus knowing ahead what people may be struggling with, he goes ahead and answers this very question. And imparting the truth of what exactly we are to surrender or concede or give unto God. You know, if I were to give you a little background of this passage, is that there was no real secret that many people around Jesus, particularly the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they did not like Jesus. Shocking, because, you know, many of us like Jesus. I'm guessing most of you, if you're not all of you, are here in this service because in some way or other you love Jesus or you at least like Jesus. You don't really have a problem with Jesus. I don't want to assume. Maybe some of us do. We don't, right? I'm saying most of us don't, right? But back in Jesus' time, we had two specific groups of people that had real beef. Like, I'm talking about real trouble with this person of Jesus. And their main beef with Jesus was that he wasn't supposed to be the one. The main problem with Jesus is that they had been waiting for generations and hundreds of years for the Messiah to come. And this guy shows up, and, they, and he certainly did not fit the description of the person whom they were waiting for. They were waiting for a powerful political leader. They were waiting for a king. They were waiting for someone with incredible influence in the society. They were waiting for someone with incredible influence to rescue the entire nation of Israel. When Jesus showed up, and he was born in a manger... He was born to a parents, a mom out of wedlock, right? Kind of. Funky heritage. Bunch of nobodies. And they had real trouble because, and then this, and then the, the rumors are now surrounding. And this guy's going around performing miracles. Now he's known as the Messiah, the chosen one, the, the Messiah, the, the one that, that, that many people in Israel have been waiting for. And they had real trouble. So these two particular groups did everything they could. They constantly looked for ways to expose Jesus. Looking for ways to making him slip, say something inappropriate, or do something totally terrible in their eyes. And in fact, they, they just simply wanted Jesus out of their society. And this hate was very evident. They followed him around. They sent spies they sat in through Jesus' teaching and temple services. They listened to him talk intently as everyone else. But they did this not so that they would learn from him or further be transformed by Jesus' message, but they did so to entrap Jesus. They tried to trick Jesus into saying something that is wrong because the end goal was to end Jesus' ministry. And quite possibly, they had been motivated by ending Jesus' life. So you see that it was quite difficult for Jesus to go around and, and impart the teachings of the kingdom of God. And there are certain examples here found in the, in all throughout the Gospels here. Uh, so the Sadducees, we see in Matthew 22, you see Sadducees asking Jesus about marriage. So Jesus, imagine there are seven brothers and one woman, and the older one dies, what happens? What if the next brother marries this, takes on this woman? What if that one dies, right? So they were motivated to 
uh, have Jesus say something totally wrong so they would uh, entrap him and arrest him and get him in trouble. And Jesus replies that in the resurrection, we neither marry or are given in marriage. And always Jesus asked, uh, answered in a matter of like something profound, something confusing, something kind of vague at times. Like, what? But then they were like, they walked away often not knowing what to say. Uh, then a Pharisee, a lawyer, asked him in chapter 22, asked him a question, testing Jesus. Teacher, rabbi, which is a great commandment in the law? So this lawyer came to Jesus and said, Jesus, tell us the most important law that we should abide by. Did you guys know in the Jewish culture they had more than 600 laws, 613 laws to be exact, that they were expected to abide by on a daily basis? Now of more than 600 laws, they asked Jesus, Jesus, which is the most important law? Can you imagine? I, I haven't done the math, but one out of 630, what's the percentage of that? And they were ready to just pound and pile on Jesus that, you know what? You say this thing? And they would have made a case out of all the remaining 612 laws to make sure that they would make Jesus' life a living hell. What does Jesus say in response to that very question? Very Yoda-like. Again, he says, what? Instead of answering, picking one out of the 613, he says, what? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus, in his genius mind and his heart, he reduced more than 600 laws into two. The most important is this. Keep this. Second important, love your neighbor as yourself. And to add the final clause, right? This is like kind of, what is it? Walk-off statement. said, on these two commandments, all the rest of the laws hang. Literally. And the till end of that passage tell us that the crowd went completely silent. The, trans, the correct translation of the word silent is actually muzzled. You know what a muzzle is? Where, who do, do we see muzzles on human beings? Do we, what, 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 do we, we see muzzles on animals, right? We put the muzzle on animals because why? When, you, when we do not want to hear the sounds of the animal to prevent them from making noises or to, from barking, the Bible tells us that in Jesus' response, the crowd was completely silent. This was the ultimate walk-off response by Jesus. You know what? So brilliant so that they had nothing to say in response. Even in our text today, a couple of verses prior to it, and they were already picking at Jesus, asking him tough questions, and Jesus answers brilliantly, or, or answers back with another question. So they're kind of left confused and not wanting, not having any means to entrap Jesus. Now we come to the main passage today. The scribes and the chief priests gathered together, and verses 19 through 20 tell us the real intent of why they were asking him Jesus, uh, asking Jesus his question, right? They said, they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous in order that they might catch him in some statement so they could deliver him to the rule and the authority of the governor. You see, they're so sneaky, so, uh, what's the word, conniving and, and fishy and, and ratty and, and just 
all the bad stuff, they gathered together, they cornered Jesus, and the question is this. The million-dollar question they came up with to finally to pin Jesus into trouble, what was the question? And the question is, is it lawful, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So they came to Jesus, they asked, Jesus, are we to pay taxes to Caesar or are we not to pay taxes to Caesar? Uh, maybe you don't see this right away, but this is, a, this is a situation that's going on here. If Jesus were to say yes, what would have they pinned the crime? What kind of crime would they have accused Jesus for? If Jesus would have said yes, yes, it's okay for you to pay taxes. It appeases the Roman government, the people, but it upsets the laws of the Jews because the Jews refused to pay taxes to foreigners. And as they were already being taxed very heavily, they were going to entrap Jesus. They were going to say, you know what? You're saying it's okay to pay taxes to Caesar. You know what? Then we will hold you accountable in the court of law in the Jewish court system. That's one way. If Jesus would have said no, no, do not pay taxes to Caesar. What problem would that bring about then? That this was rather simple one then. They would say, you know what? Jesus, this guy said we're not to pay taxes to the Roman government. What would they have they done? They would have just dragged Jesus, take him to the Roman soldiers. And you know what? This man says no more taxes. Now this was clearly a catch-22 situation. A situation from which an individual cannot escape because of contradicting rules. So this very difficult question was posed to Jesus. And Jesus... In verse 23 tells us, he saw right through their duplicity. Meaning, Jesus saw through their cleverness. Jesus saw through their real intention of be, having, uh, asking that question. And much like his other responses, he answers this question with another question. He says, bring me a denarius. A denarius, it was a coin. Uh, bring me a coin. So someone brings him a coin, and, and he asks a question. Whose likeness or whose portrait and inscription does it have? Well, this was kind of simple, right? Well, every coin, much like the coins that we have, the coins back in those days had an inscription or an image or portrait of Caesar, their ruler, their president, their king. And it shows everyone that coin. Whose image does this coin bear? People are muttering, Caesar. Caesar, duh, why are you asking that? Just answer the question, should we pay taxes or not? Jesus gets the coin, probably flips it back. You know what? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And give to God the things that are God's. Again, the response was so clever it probably took the crowds of Pharisees and Sadducees scratching their heads. What did he say again? Even for us, we have to understand what, what does that mean, right? So Jesus brilliantly answered that question. And they were amazed. Again, they became silent. They became as though if someone put a muzzle on them. Someone shut them up. Someone schooled them. They shut them up. You guys ever feel like that? Well, you're in an argument, right? That's not a good feeling. Sometimes I threw this... I'm not smart to start an argument with my wife. 
Sometimes when she has such a good comeback, I just walk away. I just get schooled by my wife. I just walk away. As if someone just literally put a hand over my mouth. Scott, just take the L, just walk away. And this is what's happening in the scene here. And here's the amazing thing about Jesus' answer. In his brilliant answer when he says, Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and give to God the things that are God's. The thing is, he appeases both demands. Both of paying taxes to Caesar, as well as giving God what he is due. You see, many make the mistake of reducing this story simply about money. It's not. Jesus, I don't believe that Jesus was simply addressing the issues of tax, but he goes further beyond that. Sure, the Pharisees and the Sadducees certainly could have had money matters in their hearts, but Jesus quickly exposes a greater issue that was at hand. He says, in a way, he makes it so much more than just about money. He says, give to the government whatever the government uh, is entitled to, but give to God the things that are God's. And he certainly knew what he was doing here. He asked for a coin, a denarius. And here in Jesus answering that question, you know what? He demands so much more than just a 10%. He demands, and he's saying, you know what? The New uh, New Testament expectation is different now. Before that, we gave out of what we had. It was uh, was enough that we gave 10% portions of what we had. But it says now in the New Testament, he's actually claiming more than what anyone else had to uh, have had to given up to that point. You know what? Now, all of you are required by me. In a way, indirectly says what? He claims not just a 10%. He claims all of us. And the logic that he uses here, he says, Give to Caesar whatever bears his image. But give to God what bears his image. And I'm pretty sure that Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about. According to the rabbinic traditions, uh, uh, according to the Jewish traditions, that any rabbi, it was, uh, it was pretty... Um, accepted that any rabbi had, uh, was very well versed in the Pentateuch, oftentimes memorized the entire Pentateuch. So Jesus knew the Bible through and through, right? And he probably understood what Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, 27 meant too, which says, you guys know, go back to uh, the creation account, which says, let us make the man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over all every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So think about it, guys. If we apply the same logic when Jesus says, Whose inscription does this coin bear? Because the coin bears the image of Caesar, now render to Caesar, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But whatever belongs to God, give to him. He reminds us in the same statement, you and I have been made in the likeness or in the image of our God. And he reminds us, we are God's coins. It's a funny image, right? We're God's coin. Jesus is alluding to the fact that we have, you have been made for the purpose of God. Now, that what, because you bear the image of God, now render 
to Him. Give unto Him all that you are to Him. If you read the NASB, the translation uh, gives us a meaning, gives us the word render. And um, it's not a word that I... Uh, it's not, a, it's not a word that I daily use. I had to actually look it up and kind of understand the, 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 the its entire meaning of it. And it says the, the word render means exact, condense, or reduce. And I thought, pretty interesting. It says, it doesn't simply say give unto God. When we read the verses, it render to God, meaning we have the responsibility of extracting what is appropriate. He places a responsibility on us. Let's say we have an X amount that is to be given. He says, now out of the X amount, it says, now you determine, you render what is due to Caesar. And you also determine, you render, you exact what belongs to God. And according to what you decide, now give unto Caesar and give now unto God. You see, it's, it, it, it's, it, it's quite powerful, powerful here. You know, as Jesus came, as Jesus comes to us, and I think, because uh, sometimes we get so caught up on God, uh, we try to determine, God, what is it that we're able to surrender? What area of our lives are we surrendering? And we forget that when Jesus came, he came to demand. He came to set us free from the bondage of the, the, the laws that were present in the Old Testament. He puts a claim on, on the entirety of our lives. And now you have been bought by the precious blood. And I'm coming. I'm setting precedence now. He, he demanded. He, he comes to give not a portion of himself. He, 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 he gives to us his absolute best. His life. His one life. He concedes that for us. And he sets an example out of himself. And he paves the way. He says, now, you render unto God what should belong to him. You know, our, perhaps we do not ask Jesus or God, this same question. But I think if we were to look into our hearts, I'm guilty of this. My heart is segmented. My, part, my heart is appropriately apportioned according to my convenience, my likes, my drives, my desires. And it's so easy for me, and like many of us or some of us, to give just portions of our lives and portions of ourselves unto God. But Jesus says, explore a little more. Think a little bit more deeply. What does the presence of Christ in our lives mean? What did Jesus, what kind of life Jesus, uh, uh, did he live and did he promise in exchange as we surrender our lives unto him? And his demand, now his call for us in saying that, give to God what belongs to him. He, he means that for every area, every portion of our lives. 
And I pray that you would have the courage, that you would have the faith, that you would have the drive to concede unto Him more than what we have been giving unto Him. And the goal is to always to surrender all that we have and surrender all that we are unto Him. Understanding that all that we have, all that we are, is because of what God has given to us. And here's a very specific way to respond to uh, the teaching of Jesus here, or teaching of God's Word that we have here today. So I, I would like to uh, see this in our lives. It goes to every area of our lives. Okay, first, give God your heart. Give God your heart. Not like Indiana Jones, not like taking literally your heart. And I begin to think about what does it mean to give God my heart? It means that all that your heart contains, your love, your devotion, and your sincere and earnest care. If you think about it, close your eyes and think about what are the things that I hold valuable? What are the things that motivate me? What are the things that drive me? What are the things that, 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 that make up the person that I am? Those are the contents of your heart. And the first thing that you do is surrender your heart to the Lord. Surrender your desires. Surrender your dreams. Surrender your fears. Surrender all that your heart contains. And I was reminded of the song. It's an old song that we used to sing at church a lot of times. Where it says, Lord, you have my heart and I will search for yours. Jesus, take my life and lead me on. Let me be you a sacrifice. Giving your heart means that all of your heart's contents, all of your desires, dreams, and thoughts have been completely laid bare at the foot of the cross. And you allow Jesus to be the leader of your life. So first, give God your heart. Second, give God your finances. Give God your money. And we talked about this last week, so I'm not going to uh, extrapol extrapolate anymore. Give God your tithes. Give God your offerings. Give God, reckon, it's God, it's you recognizing that it is by God's provision and God sustaining us that we have all the means that we have in our lives. So God, surrender to God uh, as it is appropriate. Next, give God your time. Say it with me. Give God your time. This one doesn't cost a whole lot of money. Perhaps it's more costly, right? Give God your time. I'm going to uh, read off some stats here, okay? It kind of, uh, it shocked me, mind-blowing. So a few, years, uh, a few years ago, they surveyed 6,000 people, asking them how their daily life and how daily hours and time is allocated throughout the day. And they extrapolated this to one's lifetime. Meaning, in one's lifetime, in a person's lifetime, we will have spent a total of six months sitting at stoplights. We will have spent eight months opening junk mail slash junk email. Or not opening, maybe throwing them to trash bins. You guys do that? You guys know? We don't even read it. We just send it, but that also takes time. Uh, we will have spent one year looking for misplaced objects. That's about 10 years for me. My wallet and my phone, because they always disappear on me. We will have spent two years of unsuccessfully returning phone calls. 
That, that one was really depressing. Uh, we will have spent four years of doing housework, five years of waiting in line. Come on, somebody. Six years of eating. I think it was more than that because mine, mine's about 20 years for that. Um, 21 years of watching television. On average, 30 hours a week. Uh, this service did not include Facebooking and Instagramming, so uh, we, ha- we would have to double that. We would have, we would have spent about 40 years of, on social media. And this, uh, this statistic I had to pull out from elsewhere. And I found this, that an average Christian spends about 15 minutes in prayer and reading the Bible throughout one week. So this one I had to pull out a calculator. In the entirety of our lives, we will have spent just two months, nearly two months, having spent time with God, reading of God's Word, and praying. Two months compared to six months sitting at stoplights, five years of waiting in line, six years of eating, 20 years on consuming media is there a way that we can better allocate our time in our day-to-day life amen can we do this can we spend time with god and i hope that we are able to give god our time as time is precious unto us all of us in fact but i pray that we would reflect our faith by allocating properly spending time with god last is Give God your talents. Give God your talents. Anything. What has God given to you? Like Paul says, what do we have that God hasn't given to us? Right? All that we have is God's. Right? Give to God our talents. I'm not just talking about the external gifts that you may see here at church. We're not just talking about musical or gifts in the worship. We're not just talking about gifting. But all of these things, administration, hospitality, hosting, teaching God's word, evangelism, Bringing others to Christ. All of these things. What has God gifted you with? Maybe God has gifted you with this ability to connect. Maybe God has given you the ability to host. Maybe God has made you a very friendly person. Maybe God has given you uh, the gift of generosity. Whatever it is that God has given to you, use that for the expansion of God's kingdom. Use that for the, uh, the purpose of glorifying God and edifying the body of Christ. Use your talents, even less spiritual stuff. Maybe you're just really, really strong. Some of you guys are freakishly, freakishly strong. Use your strength. Help people lift things for strangers as well. You know? Maybe you can make yourself available. Maybe you're a great listener. Hit up your friends. Listen to your friends share and unpack their lives in whatever ways that you can, make your talents available for the purpose of serving the kingdom purposes or for the benefit of others. Amen? Can we do these things? Can we give to God what belongs to God? Okay, I made it very practical for us. Uh, giving to God what is God's, it simply means, what, you know what, our hearts belong to God. We, we, we surrender our hearts unto the Lord. All the finances, financial means that we have, we give and we surrender unto the Lord because it belongs to the Lord. We've got our, we give God our time. We've got our tal- we give God our talents. And that's one way, or that's the way that we say, God, 
These things we will incorporate in our daily lives. These things, God, is one way that we say we're living a worshipful lives. Amen, church? So today, it's not an easy topic, but as we conclude today's sermon, we are reminded that we are to surrender unto the Lord. We render to God what belongs to God. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads in prayer. God, sometimes um, we struggle in a place where when we look into our lives, when we discern what our lives hold, God, what our lives contain, sometimes we struggle in the fact that what we have is not really valuable. What we have is not really significant. And God, some of us struggle in a place that maybe it's not worth giving on to you. Maybe it's not worth pouring onto you our lives. But God, today, would you remind us? Would you remind us? Would you remind us that, God, you have entrusted us with many things. God, you have already released so much onto our lives. And God, we'd simply take the time today to give right back on to you. God, I pray that Jesus, you become the most important person in our lives today. God, right here, right now, God. God, we enthrone you. God, may we confess Jesus as the Lord. May, may we strive to live every day, every moment of our lives, just redeeming the worth that you hold in our lives, God. So give us a chance to explore even more deeply, Lord. If there are areas in our lives that have not yet been surrendered, God, not yet given over to you that we take the time to do so right now God, we also surrender the things that are not well in our lives. There are things broken. There are things in need of work. Things, God, that need your restoration. Things that need your touch. God, we also surrender these things. And God, we hide nothing from you, Lord. God, in due time, we do believe that you will make us whole, that you will heal us of our pain and suffering, Lord. And God, so we 
happily and trusting you, God, we can see these things as well. Would you continue to speak to us, continue to move throughout this room in the remainder of today's service. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name.